0: That is the sound of trash and recycling being dumped on the floor of a giant warehouse known as the county's transfer station. This is where all of your trash and recycling comes after it's collected by the county. From here, the already sorted trash is examined to make sure it is all trash before it is hauled to Pennsylvania. Recycling is also sorted to make sure that it is all recyclable material. Then it is taken to Elkridge where the material is sold on the market. Recycling is considered one way people can help the environment. But here in Frederick County, recycling costs the county more than $6 million a year. I'm Heather Mangilio, and this is Frederick Uncut. The county council has its attention on recycling right now, as it looks for ways to address the $6 million deficit. This week, we look at why recycling costs the county so much money and what changes might need to be done to the program.
1: So recycling in Frederick County um, has cost the county in the past year over $6 million, uh, which is a considerable chunk of money.
0: Steve Bonell is the county government reporter here at the Frederick News Post.
1: Annually, I got from uh, recycling officials that it's 3.5 million to collect the recycling on a biweekly basis. It's a million to ship it to a materials processing facility in Elk Ridge. That's where they basically sort uh, the materials to be sold in the market, and it's another two to 2.5 million just for general processing costs. So we're looking at. 6.5 to 7 million um, of the total cost uh, to recycle that's what it's costing the county out of pocket essentially
0: okay so is the council okay with this or are they examining our options
1: so right now um, i'll get to that the county is currently looking at a study at looking at the system benefit charge and that is a key point of this because each household in the county you a single family household pays 88 dollars. Uh, That includes recycling, if you have yard waste disposal, garbage, it picks up a variety of services, including recycling. And right now, county officials in the Division of Solid Waste Management are looking at whether that should be raised. And there's kind of two paths this could take. The county executive could make a decision, okay, we're going to recycle less often, or maybe, you know, issue kind of a, a statement or kind of policy that we're going to recycle these materials, or... Uh, The Division of Solid Waste Management could come back and say we need to raise the system benefit charge, to which then it would probably head to the council for a vote. Um, And that's where this policy debate of, you know, should we cut services in terms of what we recycle? You know, should we raise the cost of the system benefit charge, which is right now at $88 annually? It hasn't been raised since it was implemented in the mid-2000s, so... That's, you know, some of the people who support it, um, you know, raising it, think, you know, the county's grown a lot since then. It makes sense to, you know, put in a little bit more money uh, for recycling and similar needs. So that's currently where we're at right now. It's pretty early on, and I think the policy debate is going to happen between the executive and the council in the coming months. We're still kind of in the preliminary stages of how do we address this great need of how much we want to recycle, if that makes sense.
0: Okay. So... Let me just start off by asking: Is it the county executive that makes this decision, or is it the county council?
1: So, like I like I said, the council will probably vote on whether to raise the system benefit charge. But county executive Jan Carter could make a decision about, for instance, we recycle every two weeks. She could maybe pro- perhaps make a decision that we could recycle every three weeks or four weeks or what have you. Uh, she could, you know, decide through Kevin Demosky, who's the head of. Uh, the Division of Utilities and Solid Waste Management, that they're going to start accepting less materials. My sense uh, we're talking with Rebecca Culler and Anne-Marie uh, uh, Kramer, excuse me, geez, that this isn't going to essentially be decided. I mean, it, the materials that are going to be processed and whatnot, that's still being decided in the coming months. And I didn't get a sense from them that they're going to eliminate many materials, if at all. They think that the reason that the markets are down right now is just, you know, it's an ebbs and flows and we're just in it's cyclical and we're in a down cycle. And they admitted, especially Rebecca, that this is kind of the worst long period stretch in terms of plastics and glass and the money you're getting back on those materials, but they think it's loving out and we might see a rebound in the coming months. So it's a long winded question it can basically go to either uh, the executive, obviously for more of a policy decision, and then the council for that direct system benefit charge, which is what residents see in their bills uh, every month or so.
2: Frederick County is not unique in that every local community across the country and really across the world, uh, the dynamics of recycling have changed over the last several years due to a lot of international factors. China stopped accepting uh, recycled material, I think, about two or three years ago.
0: Councilman Phil Dacey was in here earlier, and he was talking about this market exchange for, especially when it comes to plastic and glass. And he was saying that right now, like aluminum and tin, it it sells for a good price, but glass, plastic, you're losing money essentially on these. Can you explain that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, I think what he was getting at is that tin, copper, metals, that ilk, uh, when you go to mine them, it's a costly process. And recycling them, you know, you can reuse them pretty easily and just recycling them is cheaper than going and mining those materials versus plastics.
2: Those facilities are either storing them and they have to pay to store them or they've paid to landfill them or they pay to recycle them uh, at an even higher cost. So uh, the cost is the fact that there is no value to recycled plastic or recycled glass um, over the last several years, which are two major categories
1: for um, recycled materials. So. I think that as we're moving on, I think his, he's just making this point that, you know, we, it's been ingrained in us that we recycle plastics, you know, we recycle plastic water bottles and whatnot, but how much is that costing us? I mean, he made the point, too, about, you know, the trucks. First, there's the wear and tear and the labor, but there's also
2: environmental costs. Um, those trucks run on diesel gasoline, which um, so emits carbon and other pollutants into the air when you're running thousands of, thousands of road miles in Frederick County every two weeks or every day, um, And over the span of a month, you've got to hit every household twice. Every road has to be hit twice, if you think about it, in Frederick County, in the entirety of Frederick County. So there's costs to that. There's environmental costs to that. Plus, uh, there's environmental costs to the collection. And then there's environmental costs to the shipping of those containers, the cleaning of the recycled products. You know, you have to run them through hot water, um, which obviously uses energy, uses uses up water and resources. So um, it's actually probably environmentally uh beneficial to throw out plastic and glass at this time and so one of the potential changes that the program could make would be to stop recycling glass and plastic throw that stuff away and uh and potentially cardboard papers on that uh, kind of a gray area category but um throwing stuff away rather than uh, recycling it, it could re- reduce the amount of uh, Times you need to pick up at the curbside and reduce costs for um, the chart, you know, reduce costs for the recycling program.
1: It's just more of uh, what materials should we recycle? Uh, what is most cost efficient? And that whole debate is going to, I think, pick up in the next like five to six months, especially as the budget, you know, this next budget cycle comes up. So,
0: so DC is on board with or is is in favor of not raising
1: yeah he doesn't um he doesn't he's not in favor of raising it um he very much thinks that we should cut services uh for those plastics and whatnot because just the right now the markets number one don't um show that they're bringing back a lot of money and number two uh there's just i mean he'd rather cut services than raising the overall charge on residents um just i think as a main policy point and he thinks that uh it's not doing that much harm to environment given all the work that has to go into cleaning plastics and some materials versus recycling metal which is a little bit uh less costly i guess
0: okay and so you've also talked with councilman kai Hagen, who was not able to come in correct but he's kind of on the opposite train of thought
1: Uh, i would say he's on that way i mean he's not completely opposed to raising it but he's wants to explore other other options for instance when you look at recycling in the county it's mostly the curbside program is mostly single stream and there's an argument that for instance glass if you put that into kind of a separate stream it might sell better on the market if you clean it and it's kind of easier to identify and makes it easier once it gets to elk ridge um, to that facility that there might be more value there Uh, he also thinks that we should be looking more composting organic waste you know any sort of organic waste that gets in the blue bin has to be sorted through. and sometimes the recycling crews won't pick it up uh kramer one of the again recycling officials told me that uh a couple weeks ago they went to pick up a bin a crew and they'll tag anything that they can't pick up if it's, you know, dirty or whatnot. And she's just like, someone must have cleaned out their pantry because it was just all these cans of vegetables and kind of expired food that they just threw into the bin. And that's just, there's an education component there that people need to know not to do that. Um, but I think moving forward, uh, Kai is more open to what options do we have in education and better forms of recycling. Uh, I definitely think he's more open to raising uh, the system benefit charge because this is kind of in Kai's wheelhouse. He's very uh, adept and knowledgeable about environmental issues. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, um, that again, I, I think this going to be a really interesting policy debate in the next five, six months on the council. So
0: well, and so Phil Dacey raised an interesting point, which is that we are very used to recycling. It's kind of ingrained. I know that I've always been told try to recycle um can you speak a little bit more about what he was saying with that
1: yeah i think it's to your point you know we've been raised in school you know recycling is you know reuse recycle that whole slogan when you put in the blue bin you take it for granted that you know they're going to sort it out and it's going to be resold in the market and made into something else but i think the reporting this story i found out that number one the process of how this all works and how the materials are sorted out is much more complex than people take for granted i mean you go out to your blue bin and you throw the recycles in the bin and that's it. That's like, I'm done with it. That that I've done my job, but it's, that's certainly not the end of the story. Uh, And I think his argument about whether certain materials are recyclable and how the market kind of bears these materials out and which ones, uh, you know, end up paying for themselves or at least coming close to that isn't, it is a decent argument to make. I argument to make, and I think the council members are going to be wrestling with that issue again in the next half year or so.
0: Well, and he had an interesting point when it comes down to it, looking at do the trucks, um, are they the most environmentally efficient if they're using diesel? If we're picking up recycling and trash twice, you know, once for recycling, Mm -hmm. once for trash in in a week, is that actually saving us money um, or bettering the environment if you're sending so many fumes back up into the atmosphere? Um, Any thoughts on that?
1: I think that's a decent point. I mean, diesel is not a clean fuel. um, And I definitely think that you know these big trucks use a lot of fuel. Uh, I will say, you know, it, you know that, that that you could say the same garbage, but that I mean, it's, it's here or there. I guess it's a different issue, but it's going to be interesting to see how um, the council wrestles. I mean, there's been arguments that we should have more recycling. I know the city, when he, Phil told me, always on the board, Alderman, that the city looked more at increasing its recycling from bi to weekly because it's through the county and they found out that there wasn't enough of demand people didn't put out their bins enough to warrant that so it's a decent point um it can definitely be argued either, either way that you know it's it's performing a valuable environmental service yet it isn't environmental so it's i i can see both sides on that i guess
0: one thing i did find interesting is he was not a big component of the education factor which we've kind of talked about and i know my schools that i went to for college was very green and. Every time you looked at the trash cans, that we had a composting, recycling, and trash, and everything was all mixed together because people just didn't know which one they went into, so they just stopped caring. So, do you think that there needs to be more education?
1: There's, you know, Jessica Fitzwater made at, uh, a comment at an initial meeting when they're talking about this in late October. The county does a good job through social media, email, phone. They, like, have this app that tells you when to put your bin out, what materials are accepted. Like, they've explored a lot of avenues. And I get people are busy and that, uh, you know, the recycling official said that, you know, we get people are busy and Kevin DeMoss the head of the division. It's like, I understand when you go out to the bin, you don't want to make 45 different decisions. It's got to be split right there. Uh, but I also think it's an interesting generational thing because – It's changed so much probably since when our parents grew up, Uh, composting, I think, has evolved, you know, that component of it in the last 15, 20 years. And I think the materials that obviously go into plastic bottles and whatnot have changed. So it's a very dynamic issue just because the materials that we are dealing with, which is kind of the core, you know, baseline for everything, change on the year to the year and how companies choose to package things changes and it's it's very fluid so it's kind of tough it's i don't say it's completely like the stock market but i can see the similarities in terms of you know how each you know it's changing on the day-to-day and the month to month is what the recycling officials told me and they're constantly keeping their eyes on the market in terms of what materials are selling well which which aren't so yeah it's an interesting discussion
0: all right so sum it up all sum it all up for me what is going on with recycling in this county?
1: It, so there, like I said, I think the key thing that I'm going to be keeping my eye on is that system benefit charge study because I think that's where the council comes in. I think Jan's obviously going to be interested to see if it recommends to increase that, whether she's going to just go along and let that go the council route or if she's going to try a policy initiative on her end, whether that be recycling less often, choosing which materials to kind of disclude in the stream, so, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I will say when I toured kind of the landfill site where the transfer station is, where they separate the recycling materials from the trash, that, again, you take all of this for granted. You go out to the bin, you throw your recyclables in there, it's done on your end. But there's a lot more to the equation uh, after that is done. And uh, so a lot is going on, to answer your question simply, I guess.
0: All right. And what is the big takeaway people need to take away from this conversation?
1: I think... It, to be civically engaged and just educate yourself on what to recycle. Like I said, the county has an app, um, and they, you know, the both the officials that I talked to said, "Please reach out via phone, email, whatnot. We're happy to answer your questions about what is recyclable, what you need to do, how you need to clean things." Uh, they're there to serve you. It's you know, a cliche, but that that is that is uh, accurate here. And uh, again, we'll see where this debate goes in the coming months.
0: All right, perfect, Steve. Thank you so much for coming. You bet.
1: In. Thanks for having me on.
0: Now, City Editor Alan Etzler joins me to recap the rest of the news from this week and last week. Okay, Alan, can you tell me a little bit more about what's going on this week or maybe something we missed last week?
3: Yeah, so I do want to give a a couple shout-outs to uh, our staff. Um, Sunday's paper, if you guys got a chance to read it, was especially good. Uh, I know Monday's paper is is about today's episode um, with the recycling issues in the county. Uh, But we also had a few stories um, one uh, that you actually wrote um, about a young lady who is hoping to get home for the holidays. She is unfortunately uh, sick with leukemia, and she's been uh, spending a lot of her time at Hopkins—or at Children's, sorry, back and forth. And, um, and so she's hoping that she'll be able to uh, stay at home for a period of time. Uh, she also got to kind of take a trip and experience some of the things we take for granted a lot. Uh, and getting ice cream and playing the jukebox and things. I thought you did a great job capturing that. I'm not sure if you have like an update on how things uh, stand right now, but I'm sure people would love to hear if if and when we do get that.
0: I haven't heard anything else except that everyone's crossing their fingers. Um, mm-hmm. so the young girl, she's 12. Um, she had to go for a biopsy on Friday, and if the biopsy had a Good result. Um, She got to stay home until December 27th when she'd have to go back in the hospital for another biopsy. Um, They're working with looking at her bone marrow because she'll need a bone marrow transplant. Um, But so right now everyone's crossing their fingers that she gets to stay home.
3: Yeah, it's important for us to have stories like these because it puts things in perspective. Uh, Christmas isn't... uh Always uh, the ideal situation for a lot of people. Sometimes you don't get to experience it the way maybe oh, maybe you'd like to or the way a lot of other people do. Uh, and So we have to remember that when we do get that. We have to celebrate the fact that, that we have these blessings.
0: And if I can just interject real for quickly. Sure. Um, so I just want to say that I got a great response from the community. Um, someone who actually helped um, a family that we wrote about a little bit ago with a giant pumpkin. Uh, reached out and said, Hey, awesome. we hear about this girl wants this like giant six foot sloth. Like, if there's anything we can do, we would love to get connected with the family. So, I'm going to be passing them along. And then someone um, works for an airline company and said, Hey, I've got a free ticket for her. Just get me in touch with the family. So, the community really steps up when we do these yeah. stories. And for those who are looking for another way to help, um, one thing I couldn't put in the story just because of space wise. Um, The little girl, um, the one thing she always asks is that people get tested for donating blood or donating bone marrow um, just because she needs platelets all the time. A lot of kids with cancer need them, and also they need bone marrow transplants, and that's something that's often in a shortage.
3: Yeah, and I think, um, you know, one of the things I hear a lot in the community is we write about all the bad news, right? But sometimes in, in this, in a lot of ways, could be considered a bad news story for sure. But in the bad news comes the good news, and, and we get to celebrate that. And I think that's why it's important that we share these stories. Um, and I thought you did a great job with it. So shout out to you. Um, I also wanted to give kudos to Eric O'Reilly, who wrote a terrific story about uh, marijuana businesses and the struggles that they have with being able to get loans uh, from banks. Banks can't really loan to them because uh, marijuana is still illegal at the federal level. We've talked a little bit about that story on this podcast, so I won't go too too in-depth. Uh, but it was a very interesting story. It was in Sunday's paper as well. Give that a read. Also in Sunday's paper uh, was the uh, anniversary celebration of 75 years since the Battle of the Bulge, and Crystal uh, Shelley wrote a good story about um, Thomas Hoke, a local veteran who uh, fought in the Battle of the Bulge, and uh, Earl Browning was also in the story. And um, I thought she did a great job capturing the voices uh, of people who are disappearing. Right, they're they're kind of. Uh, I I consider us to be one of those kind of. Um, uh, we carry that torch of, of the legacy that they leave behind because they're not going to be around forever. Uh, so anytime we can tell a World War II story, I'm very ecstatic that we that we get to do that. Looking forward. Um, is we are going to continue following the Board of Education appointment process. So for those who uh, may not be aware, if you're a first time listener or don't read the paper, um, Joy Schaefer, the uh, pre- uh, vice president of the Board of Education, has stepped down from the board to join uh, the county executive, uh, county executive Jan Gardner's office as a uh, legislative director. And with that leaves a vacancy on the Board of Education. The county council appointed six people to fill that Uh, They were all interviewed on Friday. We're writing some profiles tomorrow on those folks, uh, two of which sat on our previous board members for our our newcomers to the process. Um, So we're following that very closely. It will definitely be reserved uh, by January 1st because that's the deadline for uh, County Executive Jan Gardner, but it could be resolved uh, before then. So we are following that as closely as we can. Uh, the person will be serving essentially as an elected official, so we find it very important to uh, continue following up on that sort of. And
0: Alan, you served as an education reporter, yeah. So this we're filling in another space, and and not that long ago we were also doing a special uh, spot for a board of education. Appointment process, yeah. So is this unusual to have this much turnover without? It being an election year?
3: So the, the board as an elected board is still fairly new. Uh, I want to say it's within the last 25, 30 years that they just started being elected. So they haven't done a ton of elections. Um, so I, I don't know if this is abnormal or not. I can say I haven't experienced uh, two appointment processes in, in on one board. Um, but I, I also think it's kind of just fluke circumstances. Uh, we had one... Uh, we obviously had joy's, uh, move, which was, um, not a lateral move by any sense. That is a, that is very much a step up and it makes sense for this County because she is on, she sits on the Kerwin commission education and Kerwin commission and education funding and school construction are going to be the issues in Annapolis this year. And she is as prepared as anybody to tackle those things from a legislative perspective. Uh, so it, that makes total sense. That is a boom hire for the county executive, in my opinion. Um, so that's kind of just a, a, a fluke thing. And then with um, uh, the, the other appointment process, which now is, is uh, Lois Jarman was appointed to fill the spot of Ken Kerr, who just ran for another seat. And I, I think that's fairly common. I think that, that tends to happen. People sit on the board for two years uh, and they see another election coming up, especially because the board has off-election years. Um so if you're kind of in that off election you could be there for two years and say i kind of have bigger aspirations um i know Ken is really well respected by people like Jamie Raskin our congressman uh, in district 8 so um they i i you know he was encouraged to run for that seat and and did and so that that left a a vacancy so i don't say i wouldn't say we'll be seeing two people every <laughs> every year uh leaving but uh it was i wouldn't say it was also totally out of the realm. All okay. right. Um and then we have a, a well, I don't know, if you guys have seen a couple signs down on Market Street, maybe you you already know but there's um a new restaurant coming to Market Street replacing Vini Culture, uh which was a popular spot uh for for wine folks especially. Um this one is going to be owned uh is owned by the same folks that own Lazy Fish and it's a ramen and tapas place called Tsunami that's opening very soon. We're still working out the the details on when that exact date's going to be, but you can look for that story later this week. And then two other stories that I are th- holiday stories that I think are impactful, um, one of which you're writing, so I'll save that one for last so you can talk a little bit about it. Uh, the other one is uh, Steve Bonell is working on it. A woman named uh, Donna Carter over at a, a local church has put together 3,000 Christmas cards uh, on her own, by herself, totally individually done, and sending them to uh, our military folks overseas, uh, which is a huge undertaking for one person. And um, it's one of those kind of feel-good Christmas stories that acknowledges the folks that we might not necessarily be thinking about on, on Christmas Day or around this, this time as the, the folks who are over there uh, kind of protecting what we have. Um, and speaking of that, I'll turn the floor to you because you've got a really terrific story that I'm super excited about. Uh, on soldiers who are overseas during the holidays.
0: Yeah, so um I kind of took on a military beat kind of on my side uh, since I cover Fort Dietrich and I just remembered, you know, it's the holidays, a lot of people are deployed right now. Their families are here and I just wanted to know how they celebrate. Um so I've talked to one family so far um who's and she, I talked to the wife and her husband is uh, overseas right now. And so he's been gone um for almost I think it's almost a year. And this is the second deployment. So it's just how it, how they handle the holidays, what they're doing. And it's kind of interesting because I didn't grow up in a military family. So I just assume when you get deployed, you don't really ever talk to your family, but they FaceTime all the time. And I think that has, it depends on the, where you are and where you're deployed. Mm-hmm. But it was nice to hear that there are ways to at least connect um, when they're abroad. Um, I'm hoping to connect with more families. So if you happen to be deployed, um, or if you have a loved one who's deployed and you want to send us a note, um, feel free to reach out. Um, you can tweet at Fred News Post, um or you can email me at HMungilio at com, or give me a call at 240-215-8609. Um, we're still looking to talk to families who have loved ones deployed.
3: Yes, yeah, so I, I don't want to uh, step too much on that story because that's going to be published later this week. But what were some of the challenges that that you found that people are – Kind of enduring. Obviously, communication is going to be one uh, time difference. Uh, like Christmas Day, even though you can FaceTime, you might not be waking up the same the same time. So what, what are you hearing?
0: Um, so, well, the time difference is one. Um, I think the one family are about eight hours different. So they're going to bed while he's waking up kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is just the kind of getting to celebrate and be in the mood. It's very hard on kids when their father or mother or other loved one is not home. Um, also, uh, the one family actually I talked to had this uh, interesting solution, which is that they're just delaying Christmas. Oh, um, that's interesting. They'll do a little bit, but they kind of talked to all the kids and said, "Let's wait till Daddy gets home, and then he'll come home, and they'll get to recapture that kind of Christmas spirit." But that's also going to be hard because you're, then you're going to school, and everyone's talking about Christmas, and you haven't fully gotten your Christmas. And mm-hmm. I think it comes down to it, everyone talks about the fa- you know holidays are for family, but it's hard when your family is kind of broken up right now.
3: Right. Absolutely. I, that is, um, I'm kind of one of the people who is a little bothered by what technology has done to us as a society. But one of the great things is it, it gives you a little semblance, and it's not maybe not necessarily enough, uh, but it's certainly better than I guess what we would have been going through if this were like the 1950s. Um, but yeah, I can still imagine it's not the not the full experience, and and that's interesting that they would uh, that they would kind of delay it. Have they? Did they say when he gets back?
0: I think he gets back
3: either February or March. So you're delaying it. A- quite a
0: bit. I think they're still doing some and they still do some traditions. they have got a tree and and they've got presents. But, um, and then one thing that I think people just don't even think about too, is like, you're a single, you're a single parent essentially Mm -hmm. for the time while your, um, loved one is deployed. And that's very difficult to go from a two parent household to a single parent household.
3: Even logistically, just to go out shopping, you know, and buy your kids, your present, their presents, you have to figure out how to, how to manage that. So, I'm really looking forward to that story. That's the the big one for this week that I'm I'm very pumped about.
0: All right, perfect. Well, Ellen, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Food and education reporter Katrina Pereira now joins
4: me in the studio to discuss her latest food review. Okay, Katrina, where did you go to eat this week? So this week I went to a Monocacy Crossing restaurant, which is kind of in between Urbana and Frederick.
0: All right, and what can you find at Monocacy Crossing
4: restaurant? So you can find a really, like, elegant sit-down meal in like this really cozy setting.
0: All right so is it meant to be like a four-star five-star restaurant feel?
4: Yes absolutely.
0: All right and so what are some of the items on the menu?
4: So I went for both dinner and a weekend brunch that they do Um, and for dinner you're Talking about your classic kind of like elevated fare. So flaming young scallops, um, a really nice pork tenderloin, um, you know. And then there are some sort of like other options that are a little um, untraditional. Like they have a dinner burger, which the patty is made from a combination of short rib and brisket. And it's actually topped with a entire grilled poblano pepper. And queso fresco, which is kind of like a Mexican version of mozzarella. And then, you know, like your regular lettuce tomato. But um, it's just like a really different kind of burger that I really enjoyed. It sounds
0: very good. I'm a, I'm not the biggest spice person as we've heard <laughs> before. But that sounds really interesting and like a nice twist to a burger. Absolutely. Um. So what else did you get to
4: try? Um. So I tried one of their most popular dishes, according to the waiter that I had, which is their... um. Apple cider and sage, um, marinated pork tenderloin, which is served with scalloped potatoes and their vegetable of the day, which that day was broccoli. Um, and to be honest, I'm not really a fan of sweet dishes, which I have actually said in the past mm-hmm. in my reviews, um, and so the pork tenderloin was a little more on the sweet side, like because it has that apple cider flavor. It was a little too sweet for my personal preference, but the pork was really nice. It was a really nice cut. It was really juicy and it was, you know, seared really well. Um, so for other people who kind of like a little bit of sweet in their dishes, I think totally go for that. It's, it's pretty good.
0: All right. Well, we know that you are pretty big of, uh, Pretty big uh, person with pork just because of your trip to the Philippines. So how did this pork stand up to the pork that you got to have when you were away?
4: (laughs) It's a totally different kind of pork. (laughs) Um, The Philippines pork, as I have said, it's like really crispy, really like savory. And this was like totally opposite of that, but still good nonetheless. All right. Perfect. And then you mentioned brunch. Yes, um, so I went on a Sunday for brunch, and they actually have some of their dinner items also on their brunch menu. But I wanted to try more of their traditional brunch dishes, um, and so I had their ter- their excuse me their take on a chicken and waffle situation. So it, what they do is they give you a whole entire Belgian waffle, but then if you want, instead of just getting like a regular piece of chicken, you can get a spicy fried chicken with a bacon gravy on top and I was I saw that and I was like yes have to try this um the fried chicken was incredible like so juicy a little bit of kick to it um and it just paired like really well with the sweetness of the Belgian waffle all
0: right and well you've also become a little bit of an expert on fried chicken because you've gotten to try multiple types of fried chicken (laughs) so but I'm sure the question on everyone's mind is how does this chicken stand
4: up to the Popeyes chicken sandwich (sighs) I'm sorry, but my, my my loyalties lie with Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, this chicken was really good, but if you I, I gotta go with Popeye's <laughs> if you're looking for some really like good fast fried chicken. All right. But if you're looking for a nice sit down meal with our for brunch, this is a yes. chicken dish. Is there yes. anything else in the brunch menu that was kind of unusual? Yeah, they so they do an Irish breakfast bowl, which I thought was really interesting. So You know, a typical Irish breakfast, you're talking about two fried eggs, um, some sort of sausage, grilled potatoes, tomato, you know, maybe some like black pudding if you're feeling it. Um, But what they've done is they've taken all of that, kind of chopped it up and made it into a breakfast bowl. Um, So it's everything of an Irish breakfast, but in bowl form. And it was pretty good. There was a really nice like like thyme, 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 thyme (laughs) thyme flavor in it um and like some really nice sage as well and i i thought it was really good and they had the pudding as well no pudding okay
0: (laughs) so not too crazy not too uh, crazy for us americans yes um and should we worry about any you know this dish going away with this apparent potato uh, shortage neither of us can
4: speak today you know (laughs) i don't know um so i would say go get the irish breakfast bowl before (laughs) before your time runs out all right perfect nice little pun there um
0: so in terms of the uh, menu pricing, are we looking at pretty expensive meals?
4: Um, I, I would say it's a little bit more on the pricey side. You're definitely getting, you know, like like you said earlier, like a four or five star um, meal. So, you know, it's white tablecloth, um, you know, really, really good service all around. Um, so, yes, it is going to be more of a pricey meal.
0: All right. Perfect. Well, anything else do you think we should know?
4: Yes, they're having special winter cocktails. Oh. So if you go, try the candy cane martini. Okay, you're going to have to tell us what this candy cane (laughs) martini is. So it's peppermint vodka, um, white chocolate liqueur, I think. Um, And the rim is like doused in this hot pink sugar. All right. I'm Um, liking it already. Yeah. So it's a really pretty drink. Even if you don't like how it tastes, it's just fun to look at. Um, And it is pretty good. It it does have a very strong peppermint taste. I will say that. So if you're not a peppermint person, don't get this. Um, But I thought it was pretty good. And if you don't like peppermint, was there another winter specialty cocktail that you liked? Um, I... I'm going to be honest, I only tried the candy cane, but I believe my guest ordered like a apple cider kind of martini um, with a little bit of pomegranate in it, and um, she liked it. So there's okay. definitely options.
0: Perfect. So go for the Irish breakfast in case potatoes run out, and make sure you get a cocktail while you're doing it. Definitely. All right, for everyone, well, Katrina, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Frederick Uncut is produced by me, Heather Mangilio, and edited by Graham Cullen. We'll see you next week. Thank you.